Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And we're both uh, we're both back. We're both uh, in, in uh, kind of infused. We're both kind of bursting with an energy which. Uh, it kind of kind of eluded us last week. I think we were, we were both feeling um, the weight of the world. We were a bit. Um, I think we managed to hide it well by covering an absolute blast of a comic. Um, we got very lucky that JLA issue six, I believe. Uh, uh, yes, yes. JLA issue six was an absolute cracker full <laughs> of energy. Um, an absolute belter as as the kids uh, these days are saying i who knows i don't speak to children <laughs> all the people i follow on tiktok say belter all the time what is tiktok i don't know pj <laughs> <laughs> um uh, just just in you know to you know as as one increasingly elderly man who doesn't understand tiktok to another um I can only talk about uh, the the mundane events that have happened in my week. Uh, one one of which was being bitten by 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 an insect, possibly a spider, on the back what? of my leg. Yeah, um, didn't develop superpowers. I did, however, however, develop a uh, a kind of calf, which was as rock hard and swollen as a bowling ball. Bloody hell! Yeah, it was. Um, Honestly, it looks a bit like a bullet wound, PJ. Are, are I, you okay, John? Is this <laughs> we um? Well, it's um. I was I was waiting to develop some kind of um, extra normal ability, but um, instead I just had to go to A and E and get some antibiotics. And um, thankfully, the back of my leg now only looks disgusting. It doesn't look like a Lovecraftian nightmare. That's something. See, this is my thing with spiders and why I fear them. Because people, people as a kid, did you ever have the thing where your parents and other people would always say to you, oh, they're more scared of you than you are of them. And I'd be going to them, I don't run up to and crawl over the faces of things that I'm scared of. What are you on about? Have I, um, have I told you about my, my, my most horrifying spider an- anecdote? Is this going to make me want to vomit? Uh, well, at least you enjoyed that pizza on the way down. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the long and short of it is I spent a uh, summer in Indonesia uh, where I was uh, back in my misspent youth as a, as a wannabe scientist uh, studying coral reef like you do. Okay. And um, all our houses were on kind of like little stilts on this island. And I had gone to the toilet like you do. And I was alone in my hut 
and there was it was like a little squatting toilet so you do you know you do your business and um i saw a shape kind of run across the floor yeah uh, just just you know kind of enough you register it like oh what was that and just enough to kind of like look then the next thing i knew a a spider no joke the size of my hand Ooh. ran up my leg oh no um, and I, I actually, um, I did develop a superpower and that was the power of flight, uh, <laughs> because I, I actually, uh, leapt across the room. I have, uh, and I made a kind of like a, like a cow mooing. I just made this kind of, <laughs> kind of noise. And the thing, uh, leapt off my leg and landed on the wall and just kind of like stuck there at like head height. And it was, it was gray. It wasn't oh. even like... It wasn't even like a tarantula. It wasn't even like a movie spider. This was like a stunt double spider. It was, it was grey and kind of like knobbly. It was like this horrible thing. Oh, it was traumatizing. Well, Absolutely traumatizing. Yep, I feel sick just thinking about it. I didn't even experience that, but just hearing you talk about it. Ugh. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad this little um, uh, vocal exercise worked. Um, PJ, in, in the world of JLA, where are we? What's happening? Uh, I don't know. I can only think about spiders. <laughs> uh, just think about the apocalypse, PJ. It's, it's, Take a, a, it's, a, it's a more pleasant image. Take a breath. Uh, where we are, angels have come to Earth. Um, one of them, Zauriel. I don't think we agreed on a pronunciation, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, he <laughs> has decided he wants to be mortal and, and live on Earth. So he's he's come down. And then uh, a bunch of other sort of warrior angels, uh, led by Asmodel, who we haven't actually seen yet, have arrived to try and kill Zauriel. The League have gotten involved, and um, basically, it San Francisco is about to be destroyed. Uh, yes, and it's all sealed within a, a a giant golden pyramid, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, uh, big like a golden energy pyramid. Yeah, and. Nothing was it like nothing living can pass through it. Yeah, and I then think. to make matters worse, Superman and the Flash are trapped on the moon uh, because Neron is also involved, and um, Flash is stuck in the teleporter while the moon is being sort of voodoo doll style. One of the the demons with Neron has a model of it that he's pulling out of the sky, and that is causing the real moon to start falling towards the Earth. Now, uh, dear listener, you might be forgiven for thinking that this is the conclusion of a six-part uh, <laughs> miniseries. However, this is episode two of two of this story. A it's hell a, of a lot happened. It's amazing how much they pack in. And I have to say, we um, so we read the issues as we, we record these podcasts, but I also reread them the night before as well, just to make sure they're fully fresh in my head before we begin, so I know everything that's coming. And just reading this issue that we're about to cover when I did so last night, oh man, there is it just two moments in particular that brought a real smile to my face. Oh yeah, and I, I, I'm smiling now, like hearing you talk about it, because I'm just like, yeah, I know exactly what's coming. Yeah, and one of them we get to much quicker than I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they, it is not wasting time. Like it is, it is one of my biggest bugbears is when a a monthly comic is is kind of dragging its heels i'm like you know it's um cinematic storytelling is all well and good but you know it's 
you got to you got to put your money on the table. You got to keep the story moving. And honestly, like the, so much is packed into this two-parter. I would really advocate for seeing more of this sort of thing, like uh, set up and pay off. You very much feel that this the the level of threat in these two issues, the fact that you go biblical with angels and demons and how it, it does feel like a threat that potentially could outclass the Justice League. It feels like if that was done these days as a story, that would be a six-part event series, big crossover, <laughs> tie-in issues. Morrison does it as a two-part story in the regular comic. This is this is basically a... Because um... again, like if you're handed... If you're given the keys to the big car, like if if DC comes a knocking and they're like, "Hey, Grant, baby, big fan, uh, we want you, we want you to on prime time. We want you writing the JLA. We loved all that weird shit you did in the eighties. We reckon you'd be amazing with our biggest, most mainstream heroes. It's like you've got to prove you're 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 kind of you're up, you're worthy, like you're worthy of it." And it's like these these opening stories, starting with a hyper clan, you know, going go, you know, Tomorrow Woman, uh, um, then into into this story. It's like it's such a power play because it's not only saying that this is this ain't your daddy's JLA. This yeah. is a new, improved. It's a JLA for the modern era, but it's also just like, like what an act to follow. Like it's astonishing. Like I wish, like it's like um that killer first album. Like every track is amazing. It's astonishing. Well, that yeah, it's um because obviously we Mark Wade follows Morrison on on JLA and sort of tries to do something a bit different with it. He doesn't just try and repeat what Morrison's done because that would just be foolhardy. And Morrison did it so well. But then Morrison himself follows it with his run on X Men. Uh, mm. New X Men, which is 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 really held up, but I don't enjoy as much as I like his JLA. No, no, indeed, it's. But again, it's it's very, and I think it's actually something that Morrison. It's one of Morrison's greatest greatest strengths is knowing the characters he's writing yeah. so well and getting the mythology of them. And and yeah, it's interesting, of course. You know, you saying how it went straight into New X Men after this because we're like. He's literally going from playing with the gods to telling, to then going to be like a really human story. Yes. Like they're both very different. And it's like, again, there's a lot of humanity in JLA and there's a lot of action in New X-Men, but they're completely different beasts. And and rightly so. Like, I can't imagine it would feel wrong if the X-Men were dealing with this sort of story. Yeah, and there are, there are some big ideas in his X-Men run, some very clever stuff. Um, but if you read his JLA and then read his new X-Men with no knowledge of who had written them and without any credits on them, I don't think you'd realise it was the same writer. No. No, I don't think, I don't think you would. And I mean, and I, th- that as, I mean that as a compliment. That is very impressive to be able to, to blend yourself to the material so well. I don't want to get too like I don't want to be too kind of like pocket historian about it, but I actually think it's quite interesting. We've been jokingly referring to how this series kind of embodied the best of the nineties. Mm. Uh, this and like um, uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez's uh, Avengers. You know the idea that we were coming out of this period where everything was tacky and lacking substance, and this is what the the world of superheroes could be when it was big and optimistic and 
and and and confident but not show offish. Yeah. And then you look at like New X Men and which kind of came out two thousand eight, two thousand and one. Am I yeah. right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> the world did change quite significantly in that time. Hmm. And I think it's interesting that if Morrison's good at catching like the zeitgeist, or he, you know, maybe even subconsciously, but like I feel like the JLA is from a very optimistic time in the world where, I don't know, rightly or wrongly, I guess America seemingly was just kind of like on the top of its game and everything was wonderful. And then, you know, we had September 11th and we, yeah. we had an era of paranoia and uh, distrust and aggression. And, you know, obviously New X-Men opens with a, a massive atrocity, like a like a, a, a genocidal act of terrorism. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like you can only see these patterns when you yeah, you look back at it and le- later in life and start to think, oh, yes, of course, it was all intentional. But I guess probably it was more just kind of like reflecting what the world was at the time well you get the impression that maybe it affected morrison himself in in a number of ways so he maybe was at a darker place in his own life as well when he was doing the x-men and then of course after x-men or maybe even at the same time i forget exactly the timeline of events but um he sort of manages to get some of the the joy back in his life just in time to do all-star superman oh my life yes of course yeah it's like yeah putting putting the man's life under a microscope and going like oh yeah like this is you're defined by the books you were writing at that point (laughs) in your life it is weird i mean you know to to, you know to hear him talk about his early life and yeah or even just to read um flex now do you say flex mentalo or flex mentalo Uh, i think i say mentalo Thank you. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> but to read Flex Mentalo, which again is probably his most autobiographical comic, like the idea that the bomb was what you were terrified of growing up, the the, the looming threat of kind of nuclear war, and then the idea that the super Superman or superhumans in general, but Superman was a bigger, brighter idea who could beat it, and I think that you know is so evident in in jla like mm-hmm. years later like and, and you know we, we will forever sing the praises of how morrison writes superman but just the idea that he's he's an idea like he's a he's a beautiful kind of wonderful idea which is yeah he's, he's pure he's unbreakable he scans up to bullies he's kind yeah he's, he's wonderful ah uh. I'm very excited now. Right, sorry, yes. <laughs> this issue this issue is it's the Superman moments that we're probably going to be talking about the most. <laughs> well, with that in mind, let's um what's happening, PJ, as we open this issue? What's going down? Well, we go straight in. we it's a splash page, uh, with the title and the credits on it. The title is Heaven on Earth, and there you have Grant Morrison writer, Howard Porter Penciler, John Dell and Ken Branch of the Incas, Pat Garrahy colorist, Heroic Age did the color seps. Ken Lopez, letterer, and Ruben Diaz was the editor. And then all it says on the page is, not all angels are good angels. San Francisco, now. And you have this massive guy, wings, sort of a mask that looks like horns, and then a ring through his nose, and a big fiery staff with, let's face it, very 90s shoulder pad armour and big I, boots and gauntlets. I can't, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate the chunky... Uh, the, the chunky boots and gauntlets that is oh, prime 90s yep. aesthetic 
um, as well as his flaming staff. He's he's got an energy blast just coming out of his face. Not even a specific <laughs> part of his face. It's just his face is shooting an energy blast, and he's got a lovely T-shirt covered in eyes. Yeah. Now um, I know in um, angelology and all the crazy Gnostic stuff that. Um, Angels are certain classes of angels are said to be covered in eyes. Um, Asmodel has taken a, a more of a kind of superficial approach to that with his his frankly astonishing T-shirt. Um, it's kind of like so ridiculous it works. Yes, exactly. Like, yep. uh, like if you saw someone wearing that T-shirt nowadays, you'd think that's a that is a snazzy look. Like that is a striking choice. <laughs> I don't know if I want one or not, but you know, I don't think uh, I think I'd try it on certainly. Hmm. Oh yeah, I'd wear it to a, um, I'd wear it to a party, perhaps. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd I'd try to fit in. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the the most kind of shocking thing is that he has trashed a FedEx van, which is kind of just like burning in the background. And there's a there's another car, a very boxy looking thing with its back window. Gasp. caved in um there are also other angels in the sky behind him and uh the uh the big red spaceship thing that we saw at the end of the last issue arriving so yeah i think we can assume this is asmodel i have a feeling also that behind the caption there is a sign for a comic shop which could potentially read kirby comics yes there is i hadn't noticed that before now we'd have to we'd have to ask our legions of loyal fans whether at the time in ninety seven there was a Kirby Comics in San Francisco, or whether this is just a, you know, let's get let's get Jack Kirby's name in everywhere. Do you know what? Now now you've pointed that out to me. I've I've only just noticed that the window of the comic shop is smashed and you can see a spinner rack. <laughs> just stood there, and I love that. That's brilliant. Proving once and for all, kids, that God does not care for comics. No, because the window's been smashed, but the comics have been left. So oh. maybe... Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but we cut suddenly from the... You know, because again, no ifs, angs, or, or buts. Here's a big old angel destroying the sea. Uh, we cut suddenly to uh, a satellite high above Earth, uh, which is a star orbital laboratory. Um, PJ, I... Uh, I actually do not know what the acronym STAR stands for. Well, I'm very glad you asked, John, because it definitely stands for science and technology and robots. <laughs> yeah, great. Great. I, I, I can't remember, and I guess I could look it up, but I, I don't really want to. So, um, Superhuman... Tactics and response. Oh, maybe. No, like I'm guessing. Much. I don't know. He's a poor man's shield, basically. But there is a satellite, and uh, they are very kindly giving us a kind of a plot update. I, I did look it up, John. <laughs> oh, oh, PJ, what is it? Uh, Scientific and Technological Advanced Research Laboratories. Oh, okay. That makes sense. There we go. And they basically have like an open door policy for Superman, don't they? Like pretty whenever, much, yeah. Whenever anything breaks, um, but yeah. So and they are reporting that, um, yeah. By all accounts, the moon appears to be moving towards the Earth, which is worrying. Yep, uh, already causing 
gravitational disturbances and climatic anomalies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of, yeah, I'd be worried. Um, but we also have, um, kind of in silence, because it is the void of space, um, we see Superman uh, pootling about on the surface of the moon. Um, no, I don't think anyone has ever used the phrase <laughs> Superman pootling about before. Well, it's like uh, it's like uh, your dad going down to the shed. Superman like, doesn't pootle. Well, PJ, how else would you describe this panel? Because he ain't flying. He ain't, you know, he ain't faster than a speeding bullet. He appears to be wrapping a length of chain um, around something. Uh, and he's wearing his mask, his little breather, because he can do everything apart from breathing space. Yes. Yes. And this is, I appreciate this because it very much just follows on straight off from like the last page of the last issue. Uh, it almost, in, in a way, feels like Morrison just wrote one long story and then chopped it in half. <laughs> you know, he might explain it because the, the last episode kind of, the last issue does kind of end. It's not like it's abrupt, but it's kind of like, um, you know, the final climactic shot of the last issue is of Asmodel's chariot appearing. But it's not even like a splash page or anything like that. Like, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just panel four. Yeah, and then this issue just starts straight away with with Asmodel destroying stuff in the street, and it it when you read it in the trade collection, it just it just does feel like one story, and it works very well as one story. Oh, it's great! Uh, you know, it, why mess around? Like you've got to assume that someone's picking up issue seven of this series because they've at least read the previous one. And make them, make them work for it. Don't hold yeah. their hand. <laughs> yeah. make, make the reader do their research. Um, but yes, yeah, so, and um, yeah, so we, we, we cut from back from the moon to Asmodel just kind of like shouting a bit. He, he wants Zariel to, to show up. He basically shouting for Zariel to, to show his face, threatens to make ashes of the city and its people, and, and then, you know, usual villain posturing. And so Zariel arrives, just says, enough, I'm here, Asmodel. But Zariel has backup. He's got his posse with him. Um, and again, kudos to the JLA and to Jean in particular. I just like how they know, they've been in this game long enough. They know the good guys, they know the bad guys, and they know what's right and they know what's wrong. And pretty much ravaging a city, it's like, are, are we the bad guys? Yeah, I, th I think massive property damage and loss of human life is is a signifier. So, you know, Asmodel setting fire to a city and killing people, he's the bad guy. PJ, look, okay, it's a very biased opinion. You know, we live in a, a, a morally grey era, you know, and, you know, he, yeah, maybe he killed some people, but that's like your opinion, you know, and we have to just, you know, let let everyone kind of have their say. Okay, uh, Jean agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> and in the interest and in the interest of BBC Question Time, balanced arguments. <laughs> and now over to the genocidal maniac. <laughs> um, so while Asmodel, as you say, starts doing his great big supervillain posturing, um, we see, again Superman is kind of in in silence pootling around the moon again like he's he's completing his his model train set like he's 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 flipping on really big electric switches giant electric switches um to the point where you have to ask why were these 
giant circuit breakers installed on on the moon. So that if there was a power cut at JLA headquarters, only Superman could turn the power back on. <laughs> only Superman. That's that is a power dad move. That's like <laughs> um no son, leave it leave it to your old man. You know, you're not quite ready. You're not quite ready to play play with a circuit board yet. We cut from Superman playing with the circuit board. Back to Asmodel. He does some more posturing. Basically threatens the League. Um, which at this point, I don't think we've mentioned, is, is Jean, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. They're the ones backing Zauriel up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically says, uh, leave Zauriel or I'll kill you. And I speak for all heaven. So heaven doesn't sound very nice anymore. No, it's definitely a kind of Old Testament-y kind of, kind of heaven. Yes, very much so. And there's there's a bit more Old Testament stuff that uh, we'll we'll get to in time. Uh, a particular line I remember uh, very well of Asmodel's, because we cut away from Asmodel back to Superman again. Uh, yeah, and uh, here he's um, he's uh, fi- fixing the wiring now. He's com- completing a circuit. Yes, it's more impressive than we make it sound. It's big wires. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a lot more impressive than than I, I, I am scoffingly making it sound um i do actually really like how he's just doing it in silence like it's like this nice juxtaposition with the insane action that's and it's very elsewhere. very business-like as well you get the, the the villain posturing and the league posing on earth and then up on the moon you've got superman just getting getting the job done and it's like you know if superman's not punching something that means he's thinking yes. and that's really interesting to me because i'm like well what's he what's he thinking about like He's a smart guy. What's he planning? <laughs> you just made me think of that meme. What are you thinking about Superman? And in his brain, he's sort of going, I wonder if uh, if a Kryptonian elephant could uh, <laughs> could beat me in a fight. Hmm. That's probably not what he's thinking. No. Um, but on, a, on but a segueing to the Star Orbital Lab, um, what they're thinking about is calling the Justice League for help because it is absolute panic stations. And one of the scientists, however, is saying, like, uh, something's happening. Like, uh, can someone check these readings? Because this can't be possible, can it? Yeah, as in, like, ooh, what's happening? And and we then cut to hell or a flower pot, depending on your point of view. Yeah, but it's also in a flower pot, if we recall last issue. Hell is in the angles, PJ. It's in the roses. Mm. Uh, and we get Neron still sat on his throne drinking his blood wine. Not not to be confused with Klingon blood wine. This <laughs> is, <laughs> that's that's entirely different. Here's uh, his red wine filled with little people that might be blood. Blood wine with a Y would be like a 90s superhero, I feel. I mean... We got blood wind, isn't that spelled with a Y? That's basically yes. the same thing, but with a D on the end. Yeah, blood wine would be like the kid sidekick to blood wind. I feel. <laughs> so the kid sidekick can drink, but the hero can't. When Somalier Dave <laughs> Blood finds. An ancient gemstone in the bottle of his Sauvignon Blanc. He becomes blood wine. I'm just going to say this: this is this this comic will be cancelled after three issues at <laughs> best. 
<laughs> yeah, but he'll get like a background cameo in like Next Crisis or whatever it's called. <laughs> Even finaler crisis. The finalist, the finest crisis, <laughs> finest crisis, like the finest oh, cheese. No. Oh no. Uh, um but yeah, Neron um rocking his um brooding brooding on a throne kind of vibe, which um is quite powerful even now. Um is 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 the sinister, you know, the puppet master pulling the strings behind the scenes and uh the only thing ruining his vibe is um the ancient ones kind of roaring and screaming as well, they he's- pl- Neron's gloating. He thinks he's won here. He's he's already at the yep, all done. We've won. Because he's he's all he says all you have to do is sit back and watch as the imbeciles beat their own path to the pit and then the ancient ones start screaming. Yeah, because their big toy moon is not moving. Yep, they're trying to pull it down and something is resisting them. One of them says some force is pulling the moon back to its proper course, and Neron <laughs> is very annoyed by this. Oh my god! It's like, yeah. I mean, I'm just smiling like an idiot here because it's like it's amazing. Neon going, that's impossible. What power on earth could possibly restore the moon to its orbit? It's not a power on earth, Neon. It's a power on the moon. Smash cut to close up of Superman, just uh, crackling with energy, <laughs> with no no dialogue, no no setup or captions or anything. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we call a power move. This is the, the look on Superman's face as well. He is, he is, he's working hard on something here. He is pushing himself, and to the point where the energy that's coming off him is is golden in color. It's not the normal sort of blue and white energy that he manipulates at the moment. No, and as he is is clearly exerting himself in this superhuman feat. Um, the scientists on Star Lab are basically like it, it, they can't believe what their sensors are telling them, because according to them, something is draining electrical energy from the power core on the JLA moon base, and it's causing the moon to develop poles like the Earth. Yeah, so you, you get another image of Superman stood between these two giant pylons he's constructed and wrapped with chains and connected them to the electrical power core, which he is then stood between, and I guess absorbing the energy. Um, and the, yeah, the electrical activity causes the magnetic field to develop. The moon has poles with an opposite charge to the Earth's, so that the Earth starts to repel the moon to put it back into orbit. And they, they don't understand. The scientists are like, what's causing this? How is this happening? And then it just cuts to one of the greatest splash pages of all time. It is Superman levitating um, between these two pylons wrapped in in chains, like these two giant electromagnets with just this magnetic field kind of like arcing around him and off the towers and electricity kind of like arcing between all three. And in a, in a vaguely kind of like, vaguely christ-like kind of pose and it is it's astonishing and in complete silence and the ground beneath his feet there's a crater so he's there's there's been some effort there from him it's pushed him into the ground and then as he levitates some of the rock comes up with him he's drawing that up and there's a cloud of dust below him but it's just for me this is one of the all-time great superman moments the moment when superman single-handedly 
moves the Earth back into, uh, sorry, moves the Moon back into orbit of the Earth. And it's quite underrated. I feel it, you don't you don't hear people talking about this very often. No, um, I think one because it's in Justice League rather than in one of Superman's solo books. Two because it's when he's energy superman which is a period a lot of people for some reason try to forget about <laughs> um but it's just it's it's when i first read this comic back in the day it just had such an impact on me this moment because it just there's very few things superman will do that are as great as this and to me it shows the energy Superman is more powerful than regular Superman. Mm. Because if he didn't have these powers, he wouldn't be able to do this. But but I think what's kind of like really interesting about it is, is that he's doing this incredible thing, but it wasn't just his powers alone. Like it required no. thought and planning. I, I, well, frankly, a plan. You know, it's like um, I, I, I care less for a story when it's like, Oh, the moon is falling and Superman with a single punch kind of like causes it to realign. It's like, I know, I know everything is unrealistic. We're talking about a story with aliens and demons and, and angels and everything. But I like, I like when there's a bit of logic to the, to the insanity. And, and clearly the fact that Superman has built these giant electromagnets or like these giant kind of like Tesla, Tesla coils to boost his powers. That yeah. somehow makes it more incredible to me. Oh yeah, no, it's it's the fact that he's come up with this. Let's face it, insane plan. Oh, insane! Very quickly, he had very little time to think about this, and he went right. I've got it. I know what I have to do, and he just did it. And um, I don't know if we're going to cover it or not. So I am going to bring it up. But there's a mini series that comes up um, either a year or two after this. JLA Titans: The Technus Imperative. Ah. which is basically the Justice League versus the Teen Titans uh, at the time. And in that story, wouldn't you know it, the moon starts to fall towards the Earth again. Really? Gosh, you think they'd um, they'd be more careful about that? But by that point, Superman is regular Superman again. He's lost his energy powers, and he even makes a comment of, well, last time this happened, I had my energy powers, so I was able to just put it back, but I can't do that now. So they end up having to basically get Superman and a load of other heroes with super strength or similar powers to physically just push it back. <laughs> but Superman can't do it alone. This time, this first time though, because of because energy Superman is the best Superman. Oh, agreed. Yeah, no, no, I'm totally with you there. He just solo puts the moon back where it came from. A big metric is how badly did a young John rip off this character probably off the back of this moment and the answer is a lot pj like i i i i'm fairly certain i had an energy superman analog in my <laughs> kind of teenage superhero characters it's this the moment moments like this are why it surprises me that energy superman isn't remembered with more fondness and why there isn't there's almost no merchandise featuring this version of superman that you can find these days i did look for a t-shirt that has that version of the logo on it and i found one and even that's disappointing because oh. it's just it's just the white s on a blue shirt whereas if you wanted to do it properly the shirt would have white shoulders and the s shield would sort of bleed into that as it does on superman's costume here 
It's so good. I mean, in general, I'm a big fan of that weird 90s span superhero spandex outfit where, you know, Cyclops had it, Spartan had it, Superman, this Superman had it, where like it goes up the side of your face and across yep. your forehead but leaves your hair free. Yep. Like, I feel in time that will come round again because I was like, that was a good look. That was a good <laughs> superhero look. I know it doesn't make any sense, but hot damn. That was... doesn't uh, doesn't Gambit still have one? I don't know what the deal with Gambit nowadays is. Like, I think last I checked, he did anyway. He was he yeah. was back to his old his old pink costume that he started with, and that had uh, the head sock. God, it's a good look. I mean, frankly, like every it got to a point where everybody in the nineties had that look. Yeah, and that jacket. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that jacket. Um, I yeah, it's kind of sad to admit that superhero fashion peaked in about 95 because we will never we will never reach those lofty heights again sorry i'm just staring at this splash page again because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a thing of beauty listeners they will now follow 30 minutes of silence while we all sit and contemplate no, no come on seriously though let's give props to howard porter and the rest of the art team for this page because it is a stunner it is uh, yeah i i've got to say like I, this is peak I, i've said it before i'll say it again peak howard porter uh, like he's really like I love this slightly, slightly angular way he draws for heroes. Like it was maybe a bit too janky in like the first book, and they get a bit more rounded and chunky later on. Mm. But this is the point where there's a certain leanness to the way he draws characters, and I really like it. His like, his style at the moment really suits this version of superman as well he just he draws this so well and you know as i've already said there are two moments in this book the second one is a superman one as well and that is coming soon but this one for me is is just it's so perfect and superman's only a small element on this page he just he just takes up say he's in the top quarter of the page and then the rest of it is taken up with the moon and the watchtower the two pylons the earth in the background and all the energy crackling around superman well, the thing, the thing to also a really subtle detail I love is that uh, how well he represents the low moon gravity. Yeah, like even just the idea that the the rocks, kind of like the dirt in Superman's wake, it does a wonderful job of looking like it's hanging in the air. Like the idea that there's this kind of like slightly delayed gravitational reaction. It's 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 subtly brilliant. Like it is, it's yeah, absolutely amazing. I guess I guess we should move on though. No, because there is more of the issue to cover, and we want to get to that second great Superman moment. Yes, it's it's a coming. You know, it's coming. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we cut suddenly to um, the teleport pod, and uh, the um, voiceover slash caption of Wally West, who is trapped in the teleport stream. Yeah. Um... It's you get one shot close up of him in the pod, and then another one of the teleport pod in the watchtower, which is uh, in a bad way. Uh, Superman's stunt here is is taking a lot out of the watchtower, so there's sort of energy discharges and a bit of smoke and rubble everywhere. But um, Wash's caption washes. That's not Wash. his name. Flashes. <laughs> I've started to say Wally, and I finished up with the end of Flash, and it just it's fine. It's fine, PJ. Yeah, thank you. Anyway. Flash's captions uh, tell us that he's the fastest man alive because Wally can't start narrating anything without telling us that. Um, 
He does then say he has to keep reminding himself because he's feeling pretty abstract at the moment. The teleporter malfunction has left him in an indeterminate state and he's flickering between the moon and San Francisco. And if, if he hadn't, I would have made this joke because while he does say, it sounds like a really bad song. And and it feels worse. Hmm. Uh, and and he does and again because Wally Wally ain't Wally ain't stupid. Wally's a smart guy as well because he says so. Either it's just one of those things that happens if you hang out around futuristic technology, or somebody really wanted him and Superman out of the way. Hmm. Telling. I mean, you would want certainly Superman and probably the Flash out of the way if you were going to be uh, getting up to mischief. I mean, this is a this is like an underrated point, but like it's it's come up a couple of times the idea that like Wally might be one of the most powerful superhumans alive. Yeah, which it, it's it's very easy to like just write him off as like the fast guy. Like I would kind of think that like oh you know he's he's very good he's very powerful, but like I wasn't sure he was like. Omega class kind of thing, but he 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 can do some wild shit. Once you get into the speed force stuff and the speeds Wally can reach, the theoretical sort of beyond thought places <laughs> he can go. I don't know if this is just before or around the same time or just after, but certainly during this run on JLA, at some point, um, Wally is by that time. He's able to go faster than Barry ever could. Wally, yes. as the Flash, has surpassed Barry Allen. Yeah, which again is another reason why I really liked Wally as mm. the Flash. Like the idea that, because you know, it comes up a lot. The idea that like Barry, Barry Allen, and uh, Hal Jordan were just the best Flash and Green Lantern respectively, and they'd never be surpassed. But like. As we've discussed, like I really loved Wally and Kyle, and like and, and the idea that they felt special to me because they they came after those people. They had a lot to live up to. For me, the most interesting thing Barry Allen ever did was die. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I I do enjoy Flash stories featuring Barry Allen, but he wasn't that interesting as a character in his own right. Mm-hmm. And then he died, and suddenly he becomes this great legacy that Wally has to live up to as the Flash. And that is very interesting. And it's one of the things that Rebirth essentially undid and got rid of. And it Flash Rebirth, for me, was a step too far. I get why they brought back Hal Jordan to a degree. I prefer Kyle, but I get why they did it with Hal. He, he hadn't been dead as long in the comics. And even though he'd been dead, he was still around, <laughs> really, because he was Parallax and then he was the Spectre. So Hal never really went away. And there were still current readers who knew him as Green Lantern and, and missed that fair enough. Yeah. But when they brought Barry back in the comics, he'd been dead for 20 years. And a lot of people who were reading comics wouldn't remember him as the Flash. And really, it's one of those things where people often say comics is only catering to the middle-aged white men reading them. And Flash Rebirth, to me, is a huge symptom of that. Yeah. And I feel like they're also misremembering how much they loved Barry Allen when he was around. Well, they do, they do say like the very worst thing you can give a reader is exactly what they want. Yes, like it's yeah. I've I've got to say like I never had the emotional attachment to Hal or Barry. Mm. Like, but um, 
for me, my exposure to them and and really kind of getting to know the DC universe was through this comic, through JLA. Mm. And obviously I love Kyle. I loved Wally. Like they had so much character. They were young. They were each learning to live with a legacy in their own way. But as you say, like the, the uh, Barry and Hal were kind of around in their own little way. Like you had the legacy of Barry and you had, well, I guess you, also you had Hal as a cautionary tale. Yeah. And I thought that made Hal Jordan more interesting than he'd yeah. ever been as a, as an actual character because I, mean, I know there's people who love Hal Jordan, but for me it's like, oh, he's, he's just, he's just brash, fearless guy. Like I, it's, it wasn't that interesting to me. I do think that after Green Lantern Rebirth, um, some very interesting things and some good things were done with Hal. They developed the character and they made him more of his own unique thing and how his fearlessness can be a, a weakness and a downfall. Mm. Um, and so I sort of accepted that. They didn't do that with Barry. They basically brought Barry back and then turned him into Wally. They gave him Wally's personality all of a sudden. Yeah. And it just felt pointless. And then Wally got sidelined. And I think it's further muddied by like the different, the different interpretations and versions of the Flash that have come over the years, like on a TV in the movies. Yep. Because I find it interesting that what they do with the character. I think he's always Barry, isn't he? Like he's always yeah. Barry in yeah. in adaptation, but he always reads to me more like Wally. Yeah, I think the only the only one that used Wally was the Justice League cartoon in the early two thousands, but that yeah. was because it preceded Barry being brought back in the comics. So they were mm. so Wally was the Flash. But then yeah, you get the live action Flash show where I'm I'm okay with that being Barry. That one doesn't feel so much like Wally because they made him the they gave him Barry's job and he's not quite as happy go lucky as the or quippy as the Wally of the comics. There's a little bit of it, but it feels more like Barry Allen to me, and that's all right. But the films. That's not Barry Allen. I think Ezra Miller does a great job. I think he was one of the only good things in Justice League. Um, But that character, again, still just felt like Wally to me. Yeah, he's just kind of... Yeah, it's... But again, that's weird. It's, as you say, like, going to all that effort to bring back a previous iteration of a character when, kind of like through osmosis, to, like, the wider world, their idea of Flash has probably become based on Wally. You know, like even if they're not actively reading Flash comics, you kind of pick up stuff, kind of like a, like around you. Yep. And yeah, the idea of a Flash as like this happy, this as you say, this happy-go-lucky guy, but with a big heart, is is Wally. Like that is kind of Wally, and it's yeah, it's it's just kind of weird how. Well, again, no one ever really dies in comics, do they? It it it's so hard to make anything stick. Well, that's the thing with with. The way DC handled the Flash comics after, um, oh, when they relaunched everything, New 52 uh, Mm. and all of that stuff, just, I don't like it at all, because suddenly Barry was the Flash again, fine, Barry had Wally's personality all of a sudden, fine, so they bring in a new Wally West who's completely different, he's, he's, and he's a pretty good character, actually, I liked the new Wally, the, um, and... He wasn't anything like the Wally West of old, but that was, for a big reboot like this, that was probably a good thing. And then they bring back original Wally as well, all of a sudden. But he doesn't have the... He feels more like old Barry now, because Barry is the fun, quippy guy, so they can't make that Wally. So Wally suddenly 
is back and there are two waddies running around but they're actually related weirdly and both named after the same distant uncle because dc are trying to please too many people <laughs> yeah and like the people who started reading with the new 52 and they like the new wally it's kind of an insult to them to then bring back the original and you know i just dc need to make a decision and stick to it <laughs> which flash do you want guys what I, what I would say is that I've I have been collecting Grant Morrison's current Green Lantern series. I haven't read that yet, actually. I have to say it's not working for me. Ah, like it's it's a very odd beast. There's some fun kind of moments in it, but it's very it's not very friendly to a reader who maybe hasn't been following deep green lantern lore from like a long from from like a long time ago like it's referencing very old stories which again that's fine you know that's fine that's my fault for not knowing those characters i guess but i I have to say like a big the biggest problem for me is that well for example we just had a crossover or a a guest appearance issue where the flash turns up okay but of course it's hal jordan and Barry Allen, like, you know, together having a fun adventure, Green Lantern and the Flash. A classic Brave and the Bold situation. Yeah, and I know it's I know I'm biased because I love this JLA version of those characters, but it just didn't seem something fell off to me. And it's like I feel I'm kind of experiencing the worst version of both these characters. Like, um, it's not a fun Flash, and it's not a fun Green Lantern. And I'm not to say that those characters can't be fun, but it just was that one story and the way they were presented and the weird costumes. Like, Flash's costume was perfect. Why did we feel the need <laughs> to yep. keep changing it? Like, now it's got panels and lightning bolts everywhere and a chin strap. And I'm like, this isn't Flash. This isn't Green yep. Lantern. Or they're not my Flash in Green Lantern. Yeah. Get out are of my a, garden, basically. Are we old men now, John? Is I that... think, no, no, the kids are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> mm, no, it's not me. It's the kids who are wrong. Well, that's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, like, I guess Kyle Rayner will be ever young, just the way comics work. But, like, he's been around a long time now as well. Yep. And I think yep. he definitely got sidelined as, as oh, yeah, more, definitely. More, more and more Green Lanterns kind of kind of entered the, entered the field. And he's just, I don't know. Give him, give him his nineties curtains, his boy band haircut back. And... How do, how do you and I take over DC Comics and bring Wally and Kyle back to the fore? Hmm. And then you know, alienate all the new readers who like the current status quo. <sighs> hmm. Let's just keep reading old comics. That's what we. Yeah. Do. No. Let's let, let's 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 kind of um, nestle deep into our comfort zone. It's, and, it's and... amazing how a little throwaway comment about the Flash led, led us on such a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, completely, <laughs> completely derailed. Um, but yeah, sorry. I'm back in the, the halcyon days of 1997, uh, what was happening uh, while so, Flash is thinking? So yeah, he, he and Superman are out of the way, and we get Asmodel confronting Zauriel and the rest of the Justice League. Uh, and he's he's still posturing. He's, oh. God, he loves it. It's he loves his own voice. I think Asmodel. He's, I am a King Angel of the Pax Day, the Army of Heaven, Lord Harrier of the Bull Host, nothing stands between my quarry and me, blah, 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 get on with it. And just, you know, in that casual kind of, let's throw, throw some odd phrases around to hint <laughs> at a greater mythology, 
Zario is, he says, look, okay, I left the burning meadows legitimately. I was granted mortality by the death angel of the third heaven. Why don't you just come clean and, you know, just, just cut the crap. What, are you, what We know why you're really doing this, Asmodel. You're trying to kill me because I learnt something. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to just raise me, if it will help, if it will prevent killing more people, just do it. But, you know, eyes on the prize, you've got to be aware that the big man upstairs, you know, you know, him, the big the, G-O-D, the, the presence. The, yeah, they never call him God. He is the presence. Yeah, the, the presence, the presence will look at this, you know, the presence, the presence will know what's happening. And then, um, Asmodel replies by saying, we've arranged for a seemingly impossible event to occur on the fringes of creation. The attention of the presence is currently diverted. Now, does he mean the moon thing? I, well, I was hoping you'd shed some light on this, PJ. So, I have a couple of theories on this. Um, one is that Asmodel means the moon, that he's been in He's made a deal with Neron, which would explain Neron's involvement in the story. Um, mm. But by the same token, to me, the moon doesn't mean the very edges of creation. It's like just over there. Yeah, I on can a, see on it. A, on a cosmic yeah. sense, it's like two doors down. <laughs> and, mm. um, also, P- can I ask very quickly, PJ? Um, didn't Asmodel also appear in some DC event that was going going on around this time. Am I dreaming? You're not dreaming. Um, it's we, we are going to have to talk about that in a bit more detail later <laughs> oh, on. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that that is the other thing, the other possibility I was thinking as well. Um, essentially, later on, we're going to encounter something called a God Wave, interesting interesting um, but we're not going to get into detail on that because it doesn't happen in the main jla book and it's a crossover that is not fondly remembered i didn't even know about it until very recently uh we're like within the last two or three years when I, I read about this crossover for the first time it's even less remembered than final night that's how is bad this... it's supposed to be god i'm so glad you're here pj because is now this is going to be very alienating to anyone listening to this who who a is in the moment and B hasn't read ahead. But is that the thing which is, you know, the thing what is referenced very briefly at the start of Rock of Ages? So effectively, uh, Rock of Ages, you get the first chapter of Rock of Ages and then a whole crossover happens that you don't get to read in that trade, <laughs> but that you're left on a cliffhanger for in that one issue. And oh, and is that, and that's what you're, do you reckon this could be the thing that is connected? Yes. I think it could be. Potentially that is the event that uh, Asmodel is referring to. And listener, if that in any way sounds confusing, rest assured it will not be resolved in the course of this podcast. I mean, or- we'll talk about it a little more at the relevant time, uh, mm-hmm. like in three issues. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so he either means the moon, which would explain Neuron's presence in the story, uh, or he means that, or he means both. Who knows? Yeah, you're right about like the moon not being the edges of creation. I think you're also right about him probably being in league with Neron. I certainly assumed that they were in some way working together. Yeah. And that it did maybe relate to an, a, a DC event or series which I just wasn't familiar with. Like even even now, like I don't know the name of this event or thing you're referring to. I just 
kind you of. Know what? I've I've looked at this event every time I've re- I've read Rock of Ages in the last few years. I've read it a couple of times because I keep going back to that story. I look up this event because I'm like, what was it called again? And every time I forget almost oh, right. straight wow. away because that's how little you know. <laughs> It's so it's, hard to care. <laughs> I believe it was written and drawn by John Byrne. And let's be honest, by this point, John Byrne was not doing his best work. Ooh, yes. Kind of 90s John Byrne. Late 90s John Byrne. Late 90s John Byrne, yes. Um, so, Got to yeah. say, his work on him and Chris Claremont, 1970s X-Men, it's astonishing. Skill holds up. Life. Well, John Byrne's runs on Alpha Flight and Fantastic Four in the, uh, in the 80s as well are both excellent. Yeah, so you know we're not we're not throwing you know John if you're listening you know not throwing too much shade your way but you know wow yeah Couple, yeah <laughs> um but yeah so um regardless of what Asmodel is referring to he oh, opens sorry up... I've I've just looked up what that uh, looking up what that crossover is called again oh yes um and no wait it's not here oh wait yeah I think it's called I think it's called Godwave I think that is the name of the crossover it's actually. just called Godwave I believe. Well, there we go. Uh, you know what, listener? Do your homework. Look it up. I'm going to do the same. And maybe we'll like we'll look it up uh, properly when we get to Rock of Ages. Yes, and we will gently refer to it in a future episode. Um, but yeah, but Asmodel opens up his face like he does and lets loose a massive blast, which fries Jean. Yeah, uh, Jean is... is you, can, you can see it hurts. His, his cloak gets shredded. Um, as Wonder Woman and Aquaman both managed to get out of the way. And then Asmodel, while he's still apparently firing something from out of his nose... Yeah, why not? Uh, he's, he shouts, Mine was the voice that shattered the walls of Jericho. My judgment destroys matter itself. And he we get, That's biblical. Of, uh, yeah, and he's kind of got this like Transformers-style mouthpiece over his helmet. And I guess this kind of scream comes yeah. out of him. Like this... And, and yeah, what I kind of love is that it's been done a lot of times. This isn't like especially new or original, but it's not really applying science, but applying like a, a kind of logic to those old stories, you know, and the fact that here we have an angel just kind of releasing a blast out of his mouth and Aquaman goes, oh, it's some kind of, well, he doesn't go like, oh, it's some kind of subsonic attack. He's more kind of screaming because his ears are on fire. But like, it's, it's going like, oh, that's that's what an angel's voice is. It's like a super, super shout kind of thing. It, well, in case any of our listeners are unaware of the story of Jericho, um, it is an actual biblical happening from uh, the days when Moses was leading the Israelites through the desert. So they uh, they come upon this city that won't let them in because they're a, and they've got big walls to keep them out. So um, I think it's actually just after Moses died or I can't remember who's leading the Israelites at that point, but they basically say, how do we get into the city? And God's, God says to them, oh, I've got a plan. So what they do is <laughs> the uh, the Israelites spend seven days. They go around, they do a couple of laps of the city, just walk around it and then leave. And they do that daily for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they circle it and then they shout and the walls of Jericho crumble. So I, Asmodel here is saying that was him. That was his voice that made the walls of Jericho fall so the Israelites could get in and, and you know, Old Testament Wrath of God stuff. I've got to say, PJ, like, you know, I, I expect a degree of um, deep DC knowledge from you, but that is an impressive amount of Old Testament knowledge as well. That, uh, 
my um, RE lessons in primary school, a lot of them were focused on Old Testament Bible stories. We covered the whole Moses leading the Israelites to Canaan. And uh, that one just stuck with me. I don't know why. It's funny that the, the stuff that stuck with me was all the kind of weird Gnostic stuff, mm. like all the, all the weird anything. Yeah. And of course, if you're willing to go look for it because when you're a weird teenager who read this issue, yeah. it's like, oh, man, angels are weird. I want to find out about them. But yeah, like I, you know, you've you've educated me. I knew I knew a wall fell down at Jericho, but I didn't know like the full deeks. If that makes sense, they even did. Um, <laughs> I guess it was one of those uh, Christian recruitment films, but they showed us a film of it in school in the RE lessons, and oh, it was even at the time when I must have been eight, maybe eight or nine years old, and I was like, "This film's really bad. Why are you showing us this?" <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to something the other day about like um, studying RE in uh, like secondary and primary school in the UK mm. in like the nineties, and like I actually really liked it. Like as a subject, it was one of my it was one of my favourites. I quite enjoyed learning about all these different mythologies and ways of looking at the world. But it, in terms of like religious education, it was really like ninety percent let's learn about the Bible, yeah, and ten percent. Oh, and this is what Buddhists believe, kind of thing. Oh, well, see, I've, I've got a couple of years on you. We weren't even taught. It was 100% this is what's in the Bible. I remember writing writing essays about kind of like Bible stories. Yeah, which d- there are some good stories in there, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, like... Um... Well, I've just you, told one. You just told one. That was good. Sorry, I was actually like <laughs> racking my brain. <laughs> I know probably people think I'm like this weird... Like uh, oh, after I think he's like a he's a weird he's a weird religious renegade. I'm like, no, I'm not. I I actually I actually really love and creation uh, King, stories. King Belshazzar and the writing on the wall, the actual writing that appeared on the wall in front of him. That's a good one. Oh, is that where we get the phrase "the writings on the wall"? Yep, because huh. writing appeared on the wall and said, "You've been naughty," and then he died. You know, so. there's a direct line from the Old Testament to OK Go's album. Hungry Ghosts. I have not listened to it. The opening track is called Writings on the Wall. There you go. So you know, if we didn't have if we didn't have the Old Testament, we'd never have had OK Goes <laughs> quirky YouTube videos. So Is that something the, to be thankful for? I don't know. The, I'm not entirely sure what John's talking about here, but <laughs> <laughs> They're lovely. No, they're they're a cultural treasure. So I will take your word for it. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about, PJ. You know the guys on the treadmills doing the Synchronized dancing. Here oh, it goes that again. video. Yeah, that is whimsical fun. Okay. Yeah, and they've done tons of them. If you b- tell me, you've seen the other ones, PJ. Like, I don't, I don't remember. Arguably, they focus more on their music videos than their music, but they're, they're entertaining. <laughs> G- give them a Google. That, that, that'll keep you busy for half an hour. I won't do it right now. No, 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 no. Focus on focus on what's at hand because we've been focusing so well this episode. <laughs> uh, because Wonder Woman's asking Zariel what Asmodel wants, and Zariel says he wants me dead. He's he's basically uh, Asmodel's going to rebel. He thinks he can succeed where Lucifer failed, and Zariel found out about it. And I I, I kind of really hope that Asmodel has a good distraction going on because he yeah, like he's basically played his hand now. Like, in coming to Earth to silence Zoriel so that he doesn't tell anyone that he's planning on rebelling, he's kind of rebelled. Yeah. Do you see my point? I feel like invading the Earth is a pretty obvious act. So he, he basically he, he shouts at Zoriel, points at him, and, and shouts he's the accursed of heaven. 
So he's still trying to defend his choices here. And he says, on your knees and prepare to. And at that moment, we get one of my all-time favorite Jean panels. This is just a brilliant image, I Hot think, damn. of the Martian Manhunter just flying towards us, fists out, shouting Asmodel in a speech bubble surrounded by another solid color, just to show you that he's really always oh, shouting loud and he's angry. And then another speech bubble just saying, no more lives. And I just love it. It's it's When I think of Martian Manhunter in an action pose, it is this exact panel. It is it is it is so good. Like it is really really good, and I just love it when Jean gets angry. Yes, because he's he's such he's so gentle and he's such a caring, quiet guy, and yet he's so powerful. And it, the things that really really piss Jean off are it's like it's like as he, as he said in the previous issue, it's like dictators, it's it's fascists, it's it's cruel monsters. He's like. You know, you push me too far, sir. Too far. And Asmodel has. And, and sadly, Zhang's anger is not enough because uh, Asmodel scans strong and he just goes, you, you try my patience. And Yeah, you get the collision where you just get a big explosion and yeah, Zhang's on fire and looking the worse for wear. So I guess if you're ever wanting to know who'd win in a fight, um, a Martian or a Seraphim, um, now you know. Um, Jean is like kind of scarred and and burning, and he he looks pretty pretty worse for wear. And uh, this this has rattled Kyle uh, quite clearly <laughs> because he's he puts up a shield between uh, himself, uh, well himself, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Zariel. They've got a shield now between them and Asmodel, and he says, "We need Superman. I don't care how good we think we are." And it's Kyle realizes we're overpowered. We need the big guy. I still feel like Kyle is doubting himself a bit. This is Kyle's kind of insecurity coming through, which yeah. I, which I do kind of love because he is he is holding the most powerful weapon in the universe. Yeah, at a time when that meant something, damn it, because it was the only Green Lantern ring. Yeah, and it was a special one because it was the it was a prototype ring, didn't have the yellow impurity, and um, there's only one of them. Yeah, and um, as Kyle's kind of freaking out. Uh, Wonder Woman reminds us and the reader that Superman can't get through the shield, which is surrounding the city. She takes uh, charge. Yes. Yeah. No. And frankly, she's Wonder Woman. Like she's 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 kind of up there. You know. Yeah. She's 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 no slouch. And um, and Zariel was like, well, you know, we we could try and turn the shield off from inside Asmodel's chariot. You know, might be possible. And which uh, I don't think he's quite expecting them to act on it straight away. He's just like, I mean, this this is something we could try and do, but and then Wonder Woman's basically, no, that's what we're doing then. So she yeah. says to she says to Kyle that the ring has been more effective against the angel than anything else they've tried. So Green Lantern has to keep the angels off their backs while she and Zauriel turn off the shield. Oh yeah, and and, and this is the thing I like about you know Kyle, like he he you give him this confidence boost, and it's like. His, the only limits are his imagination. Like, if he's in the right headspace, he probably could do a hell of a lot of damage. Like, and and again, it's why he deserves to be on the Justice League. Like, I, yeah, I love the guy. Got so and, much respect for him. And then Aquaman, who can't fly up to the chariot, says, "And uh, what do I do?" And Aquaman, who's also here, <laughs> basically, that's that's what this moment is, isn't it? Uh, but he does then say, "Look, there are real people caught up in this. Shouldn't we be helping them?" And Wonder Woman says, okay, you do that. But if Jean falls, then you have to delay Asmodel. And Aquaman knows he's outclassed. He knows he can't take Asmodel. 
So he, he quips asking, what should he use? How should he do that? Maybe he should use a hydrogen bomb. And Kyle says, look, just try and rehabilitate him. <laughs> and then we get 90s edgy Aquaman. Looking incredibly edgy as Aquaman snarls at the camera and goes... With, with blood coming from his nose and his mouth. <laughs> and goes, ah, oh, why not? With extreme prejudice, if necessary. I assume that's how he talks, because he, he looks a bit like a... He's doing the, he's doing the Wolverine, basically. Well, I, I do recall in the uh, the Justice League cartoon, they gave him sort of a gruffer, the voice actor who played Aquaman. I can't remember who it was, but he, he, he did have sort of the gruff Wolverine voice vibe about him. The um, Here's a question for you. Is it, you know, in terms of like delegation, is it assumed that of the five, no, four leaguers who are here, um, is Jean the strongest? Is either him or Wonder Woman? I think Wonder Woman might be. Um, Jean is probably... He has more powers. He's got the the psychic abilities and the the, the Swiss Army vision. knife. Of, yeah, but I think in, in just in terms of physical strength, Wonder Woman has more. She she has the edge on Jean. I think it's interesting because I I don't like to I don't like playing top trumps with my superheroes. I don't I don't like yeah. keeping power charts or going like well who's stronger than who. But like I know there's a later Justice League story. I think um, written by Joe Kelly. Where Superman flat out says that, in his opinion, Jean is the most powerful being on the planet Earth, like more so than himself. I think technically, in terms of powers, yes, he probably is because, as I say, he can. He, he's 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 Vision, Jean Grey, and Superman all rolled into one. Yes, um, but. Yeah, I think in terms of physical strength, he's not the strongest, but he does have so much more going for him that he could easily be considered the most powerful. Yeah. Um, and and so as I guess as poor Aquaman faces the prospect of um, having to pick up where Jean, if Jean should fall, uh, we cut to the hospital. Remember this plot, PJ? I do, but do our listeners? Let's not let's not even talk about it so they don't. No. It's- uh, yeah, so in a previous episode, uh, in a previous issue, we followed um, a mysterious fellow who was in a coma in a hospital, and hell, as in where Neron and the Ancient Ones were were kind of jamming out, was um, in the flower pot vase, like next to his bed, like you do. And um, yeah, we we when we first saw Zauriel fall from the sky, it was he looked like a shooting star that a nurse was looking at out of the window of, of this hospital room. And it's that room that we cut back to. And the doctors and the nurses are all kind of like staring out the window, freaking out because the city is, you know, in flames. Like, what the hell's happening? And they can't really tell. They're like, is it an earthquake? I think I saw one of the Justice League guys. And at that moment, when someone says, oh, I think I saw a Justice League guy, this uh, this guy uh, in uh, this coma patient with this really long white hair, kind of emaciated body, uh, his eyes kind of snap open and you see his eyes are completely red like completely red and he just goes justice league and and he leaps out of bed grabbing the nurse by the hand and goes well time i got to work thanks for the hospitality and then you get a a panel where the flowers are falling to the ground and you've got some screams like yeah no (laughs) and i think that's meant to be the nurses but part of my brain goes is that because he just knocked over hell and and neron and the ancient ones have fallen over (laughs) oh my god i i always assumed it was because 
yeah, he knocked the vase over and, and the Neuron and the Ancient Ones were falling over. I had always assumed it was that. I'd never... I, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be the nurses and the doctors. Right, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it is a little undignified, the Neuron, <laughs> to imagine like a tiny Neuron kind of falling from the bedside table. Um, but yeah, and then in this gloriously bizarre scene, we have this this mysterious coma patient walking out of a hospital and everyone around him appears to have gone insane. Like There are some clues here. Uh, You get a man who's just writing the word unlock unlock over and over on the wall and then a doctor who's uh, taking a key out of his pocket. Uh, We have a guy kind of like scratching his head furiously. We have a nurse making out with a Hopefully it's a dead not, body. Hope, it's a corpse. Yeah, it's making a corpse. out making out of a dead person. There's another another woman kind of like convulsing and kind of screaming on a bed, and yeah, to to kind of manic laughter, very Joker esque, yep. I would say. Yep. Um, this figure kind of walks out and goes, "Ah, the old magic's still there. Better living through chemistry." But we cut away from that now. Put a, put a pin in that, listener. We're uh, we're back on the moon. Yeah, and Wally's voiceover kind of takes over, and he's talking about how the good God, it just struck me how many different plots and and are weaving yeah. through each other in this story. It's crazy. Um, but sorry, yeah, and Wally's talking about how the JLA teleporter works, and it uses something called um, beams of pulsed beams of ambient matter to to kind of like move you through space. And Wally's been trapped in the teleporter stream. Uh, so he's kind of trapped in ambient matter, as he says, trapped in a four-dimensional revolving door. So all he needs to do is alter his rate of molecular motion and pull three of the wave. Like you do. And he does. I imagine it's more effort than that, those caption box. He's probably spent this whole time trying to figure out what the molecular, the rate of molecular motion is and trying to find the right frequency with his uh, with his molecules. But he does. He manages to... Uh, basically get out to free himself from the teleport beam and teleport away um but there's there's some brilliant captions here he says later when it's all over i ask superman how he managed to do what he did and i know that the moon's gravity makes him six times more superman than on earth but he smiles and it's that one smile he has the one that reminds you he's not really from here there were larger forces at work today wally he says and I love that. It's Superman saying, look, it's not all on me. It just, you know, these things happen, basically. And we see Superman. Um, I, I, well, I don't know what. Yeah, I guess he's kind of finished his work. Like he's he's finished saving the moon. And he, so you see him kind of like around this equipment, kind of stepping down or away from it. Or I don't know, like Alks. I, I never, I don't exactly sure what's going on in this panel. Like he's. I kind of, think. It looks like he's maybe teleported back inside the watchtower. Oh, yes, that would work. And then he's yeah. coming out, stepping out of a teleport booth. Or No, it it isn't in 100% clear, but I can forgive them that after they've done such an amazing Superman moment several pages before. But uh, Superman, kind of with nothing but his little mask and, and belt to allow him to breathe in space, is now rocketing off the moon towards us. Like, again, he hasn't actually said anything. There's been no Superman dialogue yet. No. He's- He's all action. He's like, this just needs doing. And yeah, there's a kind of desperate look to his face as he's kind of just rocketing towards space to where he's needed. Um, 
yeah, and we, we cut back to San Francisco. And a bit of an odd panel, actually. This one always confused me because you have the JLA making their way to Asmodel's flying chariot. They're kind of like fighting the angels as they go. But for some reason, Jean is present with them, as is Aquaman, even though they've just kind of left them both behind. Yeah, Aquaman should be saving bystanders and Jean should be fighting Asmodel, but oh well, it's a cool image anyway. <laughs> Kyle's doing something cool though. He is Yes. He is generating an army of flying demons to tackle the army of flying angels, which is kinda cool. He he compares it to a movie. Uh, he says that movie, so he doesn't actually name the specific movie. And Wonder Woman, who's clearly not that versed in it. She knows Tom and Jerry, we know that. But not so well versed in pop culture. She says, I'll take your word for it, Kyle. And she goes to touch Asmodel's chariot, just in time for Zoriel to say... Sorry, I'm saying it weird now. Zoriel. Zoriel? Zariel. Zoriel. Zoriel. The angel dude. The good it's one. lost all meaning to me. Um... <laughs> He goes, I was just about to say, remember, the touch of heaven burns all mortal flesh. And as she touches it, um, her, she kind of recoils in pain because her hand is on fire. And yeah, but then she just says, burns heel and runs into the chariot. With her feet on fire, which is... Because she's Wonder Woman. Because she's Wonder Woman. What else is oh. she going to do? <laughs> and also, Zoriel makes a slightly leery comment. because Oh, he says, Zariel's a creep. <laughs> yeah, Zariel is a bit of a creep. He, this goes, is, like, he, he made a lurid comment last issue as well. Yeah, so clearly not all angels are what you would expect because uh, he goes, oh yes, I'd pay money to watch your back. Ooh. Hang on, I've only just noticed something actually. In the panel above, does Ariel have wings on his ankles as well? Yes, in fact, he's had wings on his ankles um, all through these these two issues. Um, only just noticed. Well, the, you might you be forgiven for missing it, PJ, because in every appearance of Zoriel after this story, he does not have wings on his ankles. <laughs> Is that because the Submariner hit him with a cease and desist? It might be. Or maybe it turns out it was really fiddly to draw. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Wonder Woman, who is burning, literally burning from being in contact with this thing, is running deeper into the structure of Asmodel's chariot. And from far below, we just see Aquaman looking up as explosions kind of rock this giant ship. And he just goes, angels? Meet Diana. It's brilliant. I think I think I, I love Wonder Woman in this this story as well. She uh I don't think we've talked enough about her actually and how great she is and how she's just like, Yep, this is gonna hurt, but I will take that. I'm just gonna do it because it needs doing. Well I've gotta I've gotta say at, at at this point, I don't you know, really, like Wonder Woman I I think if we haven't spoken about her as much, it's because she hasn't really had as many kind of moments, I think. Yeah. I like, think it's about time she got one. Yes, and Kyle is having the time of his life now. Like he is he is loving this as he takes down angels left, right, and center, and as Wonder Woman is like literally tearing this thing apart with her bare hands while on fire. Like, yeah, like she's not massively had a lot of dialogue moments. She's no. been kind of like very business focused. But yeah, like she's just getting shit done, basically. And even Kyle says, hey, check it out, angels. That's Wonder Woman, dudes. And then it's, uh, how would I get so lucky as to end up? How uh, would I get so lucky as to end up in this business? Um, 
Zoriel points out that uh, Wonder Woman should probably stop tearing stuff apart because, yes, she has taken the barrier out. At the same time, she appears to have destroyed the integrity of the navigation gel. And she is just ripping things out of the walls. Still on fire. Still on fire. Um, But I'm no engineer. I'm no space engineer, or indeed, biblical engineer. But I would imagine that if you destroy the integrity of a navigation gel, this giant flying ship is probably going to fall. Maybe. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Because bear in mind, remember everyone, this is only a 22-page issue, and more has happened than the entire run of New Avengers. (laughs) Then uh, Then we cut to Aquaman, who's consulting with some police officers. And he says, uh, basically, they're trying to get everyone out. And uh, one of the police, he says, is that everyone? And one of the policemen says, right back there, fish man. I didn't see anything, but I heard somebody. So Aquaman goes and and lifts up a rock. And wouldn't you know it, it buried the JLA teleporter that the Flash is in. Which I assume wasn't just on a street corner, like a telephone booth. No, I think a building's come down. A building has come down. Um, (laughs) Of course. Uh, Yeah, and conveniently, uh, Wally kind of picks himself out of the teleport pad and he's like okay that was bad that was really bad but i made it i'm here and he goes fill me in what's happening just for just keywords, keywords. <laughs> yeah and aquaman gives him the keywords however end world the and of oh and fish and man i feel that in the absence of any real usefulness aquaman is given the humor in this episode i love sassy aquaman though i love that the police officer calls him fish man and he doesn't say anything to him but he's clearly annoyed by it and i'm not saying that aquaman is useless i'm not saying he's useless because that's a you know that's that's everyone says that i'm just saying that in this particular story in this particular scenario he does not have a massive amount to do well he he had that fun fight with the angel in the the issue before and he punches them out of the water that was great that was great he's had his moment so now he gets to be he gets to be quippy now he gets to be angry about being called fish man pj you know what's coming oh i know what's coming so we we cut to jean and he is looking it's bad his his cape is tattered to shreds he's been burned he's he's smoking and he's his speech bubble now it's it's stilted the words are small there's there's gaps between them he's trying to get his breath but he's just saying you shall not pass asmodel ah poor jean looks like the end and we hear a voice and he goes jean and then a hand appears on his shoulder and a goes a blue hand a blue hand and he goes you've done enough old friend stand down i'll take over now and Superman just steps forward. And it's only this this read, uh, based on what you said earlier on, actually, where I've realised, yes, that is Superman's first piece of dialogue in the issue. Yeah. And what a beautiful piece of dialogue to come in with. It's, I, I, yeah, I mean, God, it's, it's a small thing, but, like, he didn't just rock it out of the atmosphere. Like, he turns up in such an understated way, and his first yeah. thing is to look after his friend. Yeah. It's just pure superman so pj i I feel you should do the honors oh man so on the so asmodel sees superman walking towards him and and superman's ready for a fight and asmodel just calls him mortal thing and you get a panel of jean covering his face as something explodes in front of him and then it's almost a splash page just a huge panel 
of Asmodel and Superman wrestling <laughs> and Asmodel shouting yield and Superman crackling with energy, one arm under Asmodel's throat, the other one pushing his hand away, shouting never. And it is glorious. And tiny panel at the bottom of the page, Flash and Aquaman looking on and just this incredulous look on Wally's face. A callback to their conversation from a previous issue and he goes, this is the guy who said he couldn't live up to his myth. He's wrestling an angel. Yep. And it It, is amazing. And again, probably a moment that doesn't get the credit it deserves because it was Electric Blue Superman and... Yeah, it was just in the middle of a, frankly, an already jam-packed issue of amazing moments. But yeah, like, it's incredible. And like, I I think this is also like why this isn't just a Kryptonian fighting an angel. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't isn't the top Trump's thing. This isn't like, well, who would win in a fight between a Kryptonian and a Seraphim? And they've both got like power level eight, but their integrity level is seven. You know, it's like... This is Superman, you know, and it, and it's regardless of what powers he has, whether he's strong and fast or he can control energy. What's what we're really seeing here is not his strength; it's his it's his will. It's the fact that, like, yeah, Superman will actually never give up. So when yeah, he he's wrestling never, an angel. Yeah, when he shouts "never," he means it. It's so cool. Like, understatement of the year it's the fact that this shows that yeah this this battling with asmodel this this image you could have seen that with original og superman before he got the energy powers but it's the fact he's this is why one of the reasons i think in in my mind energy superman only lasted a year is because he was too powerful <laughs> because he still has the same level of strength clearly this panel shows that he can still use the same do the same feats of strength he's been able to always do but he is now faster than he was he has all these energy powers to go with them and he is massively overpowered and part of me does wonder if maybe energy superman was supposed to stick around longer but they went this is ridiculous but also i mean i think we talked i think you said as well that like you feel a lot of the more interesting stuff with superman was done in the in electric blue superman was done in the pages of JLA rather than his own series and I'm not saying you need to have you don't need to have a science degree to write this character but I think something that Morrison did so well was having just a a working grasp of popular science to the point where you could go well this would be a creative thing for him to do this would be an interesting thing to do it's not just like blasting you know oh I can shoot energy beams or whatever no it's like he turned the moon into an electromagnet you know, now he's wrestling an angel. Like, it's just, why not? <laughs> why not? It really, yeah. And again, I could look at this panel for so long because Asmodel is huge. He is a lot bigger than Superman. Um, but Superman just stands there holding his own and be- because he's Superman. And he's not even looking Asmodel in the face. He doesn't have to. And also, I guess this is. This is kind of like a shows the strength of the character and being and understanding it as a creator because, like as we said, Superman has not had any dialogue until this point. Um, he is used so sparingly in this issue, but everything he does is momentous. That's it. the The story in these two issues isn't Superman's. He's he's a bit player, but the moments 
the gr- the best moments, the ones that really linger with you afterwards, are Superman's, and they are two of the greatest. This this panel and the other one are two of my absolute all time favorite Superman moments. Well, it's it's interesting in a way because it, it's almost like a mini thesis piece. It's almost like maybe we can see the origins here of what would become All Star Superman because the story opens with Wally and Superman having like a little chat about what it means to be Superman and trying to live up to what people want him to be and and Mm -hmm. being bigger than just a man. And this is kind of like the conclusion of it in a way. Like we've seen Superman do two astonishing things, like two absolutely astonishing things, which if you'd asked him half an hour earlier, maybe he would have thought were impossible. But yeah, it's almost like the measure of being Superman is is kind of like doing the, you know, considering the impossible and then making it work because because there's no other choice and people are depending on you. It's, it's it's amazing. Like and it's kind of crazy that like he he it works so well without him having dialogue. Like we get a whole character arc over two issues that we see visually rather than being having it forced down our throat. So uh, what is this? This is issue 7, I seven, think, yes. of JLA. Issue seven of this comic, uh, only the third issue to feature Electric Blue Superman. And this one issue has these two amazing moments that, yeah, are two of the reasons I still love Superman as a character today. Yeah, I, yeah, no, quite right. This is, it's, it's, it's so hard to describe and let, uh, to someone who's, who, you know, who maybe only has a passing fam- familiarity with a character, but there's a reason why Superman matters. There's a reason why Superman isn't just strong guy, you know. He's and, yeah, he's he's bigger. He's he and means we'll, something. Um, in fact, on that we get another panel now of um, the the chariot starting to fall from the sky, and Zariel says to Wonder Woman, "You know, you doing that that was biblical. <laughs> uh, I can't believe you did it. Problem is, it's falling now, and it's going to destroy everything it touches." And Wonder Woman just says, "I'll assume full responsibility." Um, yeah, and and at the same time, um, Asmodel kind of opens his face again and blasts Superman point blank with the scouring light of heaven, which he says only the purest souls can gaze upon it and not be driven mad. There isn't a purer soul than Superman. There just isn't. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> and and um. Yeah, and, and Wally's back on the scene, and uh, as the team kind of regroups, uh, Kyle is having the time of his life. He goes, did it ever just hit you how awesome all this is? Like, sometimes I just look around and I realise what I'm doing. Well, that's that's the thing. You've got Wonder Woman's up in the sky trying to stop the chariot with Zariel. Superman's fighting Asmodel, and then the rest of them are just watching Superman fight Asmodel. They're like, <laughs> he's got it, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, the big man's on the case. Uh, And Wally kind of goes, come on, Space Cadet, never mind the pretty colours. We worked it out. I want you to make something for me. Uh, Uh, And up above, Wonder Woman, on fire, tries to catch the falling chariot. She's she's trying to stop it from falling. And again, she doesn't care how much it's going to burn her. She She just says, it won't fall. And when Wonder Woman says that, I believe her. But what's um what's Wally what does Wally want him to build? Uh it's a big sci-fi device. So he says he's basically guiding him to build. It looks like a big wheel treadmill thing with tuning forks on it. And uh he says is that bit there gonna translate what I do on the treadmill into sound? 
And um, there's a bit of banter then between uh, Wally and Kyle. Kyle says, uh, man, this thing's going to translate last night's bean burrito into Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, if that's what you want. But Aquaman intervenes and just says, look, get on with it. Also, again, people using their powers creatively. Like, can't stress that enough how important that is. Yep. Um, and Wally starts running on the treadmill, kind of like charging it up with power. And as he as he runs, we see Superman and Asmodel still wrestling. And uh, it does look like here uh, Asmodel's getting the wind knocked out of him a bit. <laughs> and like Superman's I, elbow has gone into his stomach, and and I got to say, like it, this can't be this can't be a coincidence that like Superman is wrestling an angel in a very kind of like greco-roman wrestling kind yeah. of way like yeah it's 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 evoking but you know it's biblical you know who who wrestled an angel in 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 the old testament pj Someone oh did it. yeah um was it a j most people's names start with a j back then. i can't remember i honestly can't remember it's probably a time traveling superman and the thing is, yeah, I reckon if I tried to Google it now, who wrestled an angel? It would say, well, Superman. <laughs> yeah, Superman. <laughs> yeah, Superman's uh, uh, one for O on uh, wrestling angels. <laughs> um, I, I am going to Google it and see what comes up. Let's see. Well, well, okay, let's find out. An angel. You join us for Bible studies with John and PJ. Oh, it was uh, Superman. No, sorry, oh, Jacob. Great. It was Jacob. Jacob, I knew it was a J. I was going to say like Joseph, but no, he had a fancy coat. Yeah. And Jonah was in a whale. And uh, Jacob wrestled an angel. Um, and as 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 Superman wrestles an angel, as he did in the Old Testament, um, this weird machine that Kyle has built, as Wally charges it by running on it, these giant these giant uh, tuning forks start kind of screaming and, and vibrating. And high above the city, uh, as the chariot is falling, Wonder Woman is, with this incredible effort, is trying to keep it aloft and. Uh, Jean joins her, um, and he erupts into flames as well. Which for Jean, this is this this story. I think is is one of the best stories at showing the heroism of these characters. Certainly, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Jean. It shows the lengths those three characters will go to to save lives and to to stop the bad guys because they they just if if lives are on the line, they don't care about themselves. And poor Jean, I mean, you could look at this and think that, like, oh, Jean's a bit of a weakling. He got his ass handed to him. But I think what's more important is that he he didn't give up. Like, you know, I think the measure of a character is not necessarily how strong they are. It's like Jean goes through immense physical pain in this episode, and he he's there. Like, he never falters. Like, it's that that says more to his character, I think, than just kind of punching the crap out of an angel. Yep. Yep. Um. But yeah, but the machine is working, and apparently, as Aquaman clutches his head in pain, uh, he says that the frequency just went ultrasonic. And it looks like a, a group of angels are, are flying down towards the machine and GL and Aquaman. And uh, Kyle does say, this is a better work. They look like they're skilled in torture. And then we cut to Superman and Asmodel still going at it, and Superman is shouting and he says, how dare you come here like this? How dare you threaten my people? And I think that's pretty telling as well, because Superman thinks of Earth and humanity as his people. Oh, and to see an angry Superman as well. Yes. Like, you know, it's like the anger of a good man. Like, it's pretty terrifying. And Asmodel is not saying much now. I think 
<laughs> I think Asmodel's cockiness has kind of disappeared. Well, I feel like um, the point of view here, you see it that we know from previous panels Asmodel is is bigger than Superman, but in this panel, it looks like Superman is over him. He's above him. Whether that means Superman's taken off a little bit or whether he's got Asmodel on his knees. Yeah, it's, and, and, and he's kind of punching him and his energy is like, uh, kind of like big Kirby crackles of energy, kind of like exploding off his fists. Basically, Superman's winning. Yeah, like he's kicking the ass out of a seraphim, which is pretty, um, pretty amazing. And that's and... why Asmodel's not not posturing anymore. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> yeah, I think he's learned a he's learned a powerful lesson here. And um, high above the city, uh, Zoriel, Jean, and Wonder Woman are trying to hold up the. Uh... There's a lot of rapid cutting between scenes here, which really kind of does, yeah, you know, shows that we're ramping up to a conclusion. Like it's just just a nice kind of jumping between all these moments but you know they're all in pain they're all burning and we just have to well, hold it a little longer well that's it zauriel says uh, i'm not complaining but my hands are on fire and i think that's partly saying oh crap i am mortal now yeah it's because yeah like oh, oh ow i'm experiencing pain this sucks <laughs> um and kyle is overjoyed because it's working the machine is working and it's interfering with the angels' supersonic vibrations. We're cancelling them out. And um, we see the birth of the bromance that will last a lifetime. Because it goes, I hate to say this, but we are the team supreme, Flashman. We are the primo teamo, man. But this is something that was set up in, in the last issue when uh, Zariel used a sonic scream on one of the angels and disintegrated it because he found the right frequency. So that's what they've done here. <laughs> just on a much larger scale and it affects the angels it affects the the chariot asmodel phases out with a cry of no just leaving superman there still sort of in a wrestling pose catching his balance as yeah his opponent has just disintegrated in front of him and kyle in a kind of exhausted voice just says we are the justice league and the bad guys have left the building yeah astonishing how good how good was that how good was that last few pages it's so good and again also so good that i I think i flat out stole that in um (laughs) i think when we wrote when we did the heavenly chord crossover oh yes yeah that that totally lifted the like everything is everything is sound and if you have a wave you can cancel it out with a a corresponding anti-wave and <laughs> i learned more about sound than i did in this episode than i did in any physics lesson over the years uh, but we, we we cut to a bit of downtime the the league are stood on a rooftop jean doesn't look well um what he's got a hand on jean's shoulder and and he and wonder woman clearly looking after him which i like it's a nice little moment just shows that these characters also care about each other yeah, no, and, and poor Jean really has been through hell here. And yeah, I guess it's for debriefing. Zor- Just before they, they debrief, though, um, there's a building behind them that's had a big chunk of it taken off and everything. Now, it might just be generic skyscraper, but it looks to me like that's the Baxter building. <laughs> uh, PJ, I'd have to... I don't know. I'd, I'd have to take your word for that. It's probably like, just generic skyscraper, but for me, it, it looks a lot like the Baxter building in the old classic Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four comics. Well, I was always more of a Four Freedoms Plaza kind of guy. 
I mean, me too. That's the era. But you know, we we do know Porter likes to sneak little Marvel references in. Remember issue one with was it issue one? Wolverine uh, and Doctor Doom were executed by the Hyper Clan. Yes, bit of a grim cameo, but there we go. Hmm. Uh, and incredibly, this issue is not over yet, which I no. find kind of astonishing. Like no. so much has happened. Um, yeah, and, and Zoriel just goes, oh yeah, I mean. You know, this isn't over. He'll probably come back. We'll use flesh suits next time. I'll probably kill him. There'll be courtroom dramas in heaven. In the end, none of it matters. So can't we just all, can't we all just be nice and have babies? That's my pathetic prayer every night before I go to sleep. (laughs) And then uh, Superman offers Zariel a place on the league. (laughs) Says there's always a place in the Justice League for, well, a big fella with wings like you. And and, uh, Zoriel kind of grins and goes, it's an honour and I'm thinking about it long and hard, but the answer is no. I became mortal for a reason. There was a reason behind all this mess and there are things I have to take care of now. I'll help with the cleaning, but otherwise... And Superman just goes, things? And Zoriel flies off and goes, too embarrassing to say, Superman. Really uncool. Because Mm -hmm. it was the 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just Uncle Zariel. This is... Okay. Okay, so. We cut to an apartment. There is a woman on a beanbag with a, a cat. She's eating a... Looks like a donut, reading a book. She's got a bag of Cheetos. She's got a Pillsbury Doughboy on a bookshelf behind her. <laughs> and then there's a... Her doorbell rings. Uh, she opens the door, keeps the chain on the... Uh, the chain on so she can't open it all the way. And it's Zariel... And he just says, hi, you don't know me, but I uh, I love you. Zauriel's a fucking creep. What I would say, oh, maybe I'll save it to the end of the episode, but uh, I, I think from what little I know of what potentially comes of this, she is as horrified by this as, as she would rightly be. <laughs> yeah. And, and Zauriel's uh, affections for this girl are rightly rebuffed. And he moves on, I feel. Now, Zariel, he will return. He does appear again. And his characterization is much better. Changes massively. Yes. I've got to say. Like... Yes. I guess that can be explained by he doesn't have experience of the mortal world. He's always just been an angel observing from on high, not getting involved. And being here makes him sort of realize what what being a, a, a mortal, what being a, a person is, rather than just a sort of immortal concept yeah um i guess we'll, t- we'll definitely touch on zoriel more going forward because he because he becomes you know uh, he does return in the series and he becomes a very likable character but yeah it is kind of it is striking just how different he is at this point and i wonder whether there was an element not really like a shock element but like very much like a hey, we're doing angels, but it's the 90s. So here's yeah. an angel who talks like a regular guy and is maybe a little pervy. Yeah. And I don't know if that was meant to be like a... Whether they were doing a thing. Like, was it meant to be like a weird juxtaposition? I don't know, basically. Yeah. But um, I'm glad we don't get pervy Zariel again. But no, and but we do have Neron. And yeah, we got to wrap up that little plot. Yeah, we have Neron and the Ancient Ones who are watching this whole thing from afar. And this was the mysterious girl's face that we saw Neron generate in the last issue. Yeah. 
So for some reason, he's been paying close attention to Zoriel and this uh, unnamed woman with whom he is apparently infatuated. Maybe this... Uh, I don't know. I'd need to try and read the... Oh, I'm going to have to go to Comixology and see if I can read them, aren't they? But maybe Zariel and this woman returned in that Godwave crossover thing. I'm wondering because, as far as I'm aware, I don't believe he ever got his own series. No, I don't think so. So... I think he certainly... He, he guest starred in a lot of books. Um, I, I, I strongly remember an issue of Supergirl that he guest stars in and... Um, I think Young Justice he appeared in. Oh and, right, okay. Various books he would he would appear in for a brief couple of years. Zariel did feel like he was everywhere, but no, I don't think he ever got his own book. That's what I'm thinking. So I don't know where this plotline was ever resolved, him and this woman. But I, I I swear I've read somewhere that it was. I don't know in the pages of what, but I think they did come to a. They did you know this was tied up somehow. Ah, oh, John, you're going to make me read God Wave. I feel, I feel, I should read God Wave. I'm fascinated by it now. I, I don't think, uh, I don't. Uh, no, sorry, the series was called Genesis. Genesis, right? Yes. Um, but oh, I'm going to have to read it. God damn you! I'm so well, PJ. You think you're like the advanced scout for you know our our people. Like Look, we're, sen- we're, we're sending you out to. I'm only intel. reading it if it's on Comixology because I doubt I'll be able. I don't know if it was even ever collected. That's how badly received it was. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I, more, I'm not. I'm less interested in reading it than I am in getting your succinct <laughs> review of it. In in a way, like All right. I, f- I feel you're the lens that would better like focus it for okay. us. I'll I'll try and have it read by the time we get to Rock of Ages. I'll see what I can do. Your sacrifice is, is appreciated. I at the very least I will Google it. How about that? That's, that's my that's my best offer. Uh anyway. Uh, um but yeah, the ancient the ancient, one, the ancient ones. The ancient ones are pissed off because they're like, hey, you promised us we could play with the moon and you promised us we could like rain down destruction. What gives? We lost. What's all that about? And Neuron says, Look, I, I can bend the rules, but I can't end I, alter the fundamental laws of the universe and Superman was better than you. And he says, you know who didn't help. Now, I'm genuinely not sure who he's referring to there. No, I'm Whether not he means sure either. the presence or... Asmodel like, himself? Or the, the one of the devils in the DC universe? Or the maybe... Key? Yeah, the key is who I oh, was thinking. Oh, damn it, sorry, well. spoilers. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> didn't mean to say that. <laughs> anyway, or someone else. Or another unnamed character. Um, but uh, yeah, Neron uh, is happy though, because he's like, ah, but this is the game. This is the game. And now I get to happily watch these, you know, these two, this this angel and this woman kind of doom themselves, basically. Yeah, and... um. He's holding an image, and she has apparently let Zariel in, which um, she's I brave. Su- I certainly hope that's the case, and that Zariel hasn't broken, broken. the door in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Neron says, the pieces are now set in place. Time to play my favourite game, Damnation. And then, incredibly, this this issue just keeps on giving, because we, astonishingly... We get, we get an epilogue. We have two more pages to go. How has epilogue. this much happened in this issue? It is insane. 
and uh, we, we, we're on the moon in the watchtower. And Batman's there. Batman's back. Yay! Because he was just not... I mean, what would he have done if he was with the angels? Oh, he probably would have had Kyle build something a little sooner. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Or punch some angel. That's... Or he he would have... I don't know. I'm kind of actually. I'm kind of imagining a cool alternate universe version of this story where Batman was present and he maybe talks an angel out of existence or something. <laughs> but he he clearly doesn't want to be on the moon at the moment. He says, I'd, "I'd like to have avoided this." Superman and Superman says, "Look, you helped make these rules. We're inaugurating Green Lantern, not Green Lantern. He's already a member of the Justice League." <laughs> I cannot read today. <laughs> We're so nearly there, PJ. We're so nearly there. We're in your gear. Oh, man. You say it. Um, we need at least six members for Greenland. Damn it! <laughs> PJ, what have you done? It's always talk of Genesis. I've forgotten how to speak. Oh, God. We need six members for Green Arrow's inauguration. There we inauguration. go. Inauguration. Because they're bringing Green Arrow into the league. Remember that, folks, from a couple of couple of issues ago when they were auditioning people? So, yeah, the Green Arrow apparently passed and they're bringing him in. And... and Superman says, look, we need six members. You help make those rules. And Jean needs time to recover. So you're here. And then Batman says, wait, there's something. And then there's a big energy discharge, a lot of smoke, and the League all fall unconscious. Yeah. Fascinating moment. Because what did Batman sense that in that second? Before that nobody happened? else did as well. That Superman didn't sense. Yeah. I'm assuming it's like... I want to say he's maybe some kind of like mental attack, perhaps. Or, yeah. You know, and maybe you know, Batman. I can I can see how Batman might conceivably have some kind of like early warning thing set up if his mind's about to be compromised. I do not know. Cool though. It, yeah, it's Makes a great. You... And then the league are down. And yeah, a weird little moment that just before they collapse, Superman goes, "Diana?" Question mark. I feel like that's because Superman realizes he and Wonder Woman are the ones most likely to, oh, resist it. Yeah, but even they can't. You can you can see they are the rest of the league are almost down already, and Superman and Diana are, are clearly fighting it off a bit more. Ah, good good spot, PJ. I'd always wondered about that. That makes that makes perfect sense. And yeah, and uh, as we see Wonder Woman and. Superman both pass out on the floor. A a mysterious figure starts walking forward through the smoke, and he goes, "Proud of all your surveillance, hmm? All your snares and your locks and your bolts? Didn't Mommy tell you there's a man you can't lock your doors against? There's a man you can't hide from, even in your own little heads. And guess what? And then we turn the page. PJ, if you if you if you'd like, I I don't I don't oh, want to hog I, this moment. Sorry, it's just it's another great splash page. Ano- another great. How are there so many splash pages in this issue, and yeah. yet so much happens? My yeah. God. And um, yeah, we have this man stood over Batman's body, uh, and he just says, "I'm back, and now we can begin." And it's the coma patient from before. And um, yeah. That's the end of the issue. Oh, oh, and it does say, next issue, the key to the mystery. So it's the key. This is Justice League. Oh, spoilers, PJ. What are you doing? The key. <laughs> the well, key. you can tell, because he's... he's. Uh, 
I don't know if this is the first time this redesign of the character appeared, um, but it's certainly, if you look at his Silver Age costume where he basically had a big key on his head, um, it's he was a ridiculous character. I, this is genuinely creepy. This is very creepy. Like it, it's kind of like because yeah, I, I, I'm fairly like ninety nine point nine percent certain this is the first time this character was reimagined in this way. Um, and he's kind of like gaunt, emaciated figure with red eyes, long white hair, and almost like a kind of kind of like a bondagey kind of outfit, like it, lots of leather straps sort of thing. Yeah. Um and with he's got like sort of technological doodads on his hands that aren't gloves, but they cover them with like little pieces of technology, but they end in keys. His fingernails that are little is, keys. That is actually very cool. And um, and yeah. he's holding a a really cool, like long golden staff, which is vaguely key like. We don't get a good shot of it in this particular panel, but it's like it looks like he's holding a massive key, basically. Yeah. And um, he's so creepy. And it's... it's When you've I... just just finished a story where it's end of the world, the, the Justice League are really having to fight to stop all these angels, and you get like two pages of relaxation, and then suddenly the Justice League are taken down by this really creepy, scary guy. I, I I love it, and I I think this goes again hand in hand with the um the weird this kind of reimagining of the JLA. Like I think this is how you complete the merry-go-round. It's like yeah. you have uh, a rival superhero team, you know, as in the Hyper Clan. Oh, but there's a secret behind them, you know. Uh, it challenges the team's ethos. Kind of we do a a wonderful little character piece with Woman of Tomorrow. Then we have literally fighting angels, as in, like, let's up the ante. And an end-of-the-world scenario. And now it's like, and now let's reimagine a classic villain. You know, something Morrison does very well, like yes. taking, like, a kind of goofy old concept and finding the gold in it and kind of polishing it and sending it back out there. Because I don't think anybody had done anything interesting with the key up until this point. No, I think he, he was one of those early 60s creations i think actually he was a gardener fox creation mm. um if i remember correctly and he was pretty goofy uh you know he was i'd almost liken him to um if you want to have a a, a marvel take on it paste pop pete right yeah yeah he had a gimmick that he ran with it was that level of character and obviously paste pop pete his look didn't change so much but he, he got a much better name later on the trapster yes um and with with the key, he didn't get a better name, but my God, his look and and everything about him changed dramatically to fit the time. Well, yeah, indeed. And I've got to say, like, you there's there's a bad way of doing it. You can you can imagine, like, well, let's take a a goofy character from the past where he's it's meant to just be like a fun little kids comic, and then let's make him edgy, let's make him dark. But I think this one really works. Like it it, it it's striking the very like right balance of menace where he just turns up, and I know I'm talking about the next couple of issues like they haven't happened yet, but or like they have happened already, but they haven't. Sorry, words dying. But like, he, he's a, it's, it's like, how can this guy stand against this new Justice League? Like, how can the Justice League, who have, you know, the Justice League have defeated aliens. They've now defeated angels. Like, 
how can this one guy possibly be a threat? And yet he's just taken out the league like instantaneously, and he's just one guy. Like it, it really menacing. And I think the um the look of the the new look for the character really he looks menacing. He looks scary. And um, Howard Porter isn't doesn't draw the next two issues. He, he you know artists occasionally need a break. I think keeping up a monthly schedule for an artist, certainly one as good as Howard Porter, is it's difficult. So runs like justice league or jla like this they would have fill-in artists who do the occasional one or two part story to give them a break and that's what happens with the next two issues um i believe drawn by oscar jimenez if i check yes oscar jimenez draws the next two issues and he does a brilliant this version of the key brilliantly as well but i do wonder who designed it which of the two artists actually designed the character i if i'm honest i would put money on uh not to do a disservice to the artists but i would actually put money on grant morrison himself designing him oh right because in a lot of um in a lot of grant morrison's dc graphic novels in the special features at the back you do get grant morrison's original sketches and like he's he's a fairly accomplished artist in his own right or certainly well enough to do a decent character study and given the way like he is so precise about certain things I have a feeling that just I, I'm I'm guessing here. This might not be true, but I have a feeling that this this may have sprung right from his head. Okay, and then obviously that... like more you know professional artists made it look good, but like I have a feeling this this has got his finger fingerprints all over it. Okay, that yeah that would make sense. I'm willing to be proven wrong, but that's only that's only a theory of mine. I've got nothing to back that up. Okay, well I guess. We'll probably never know. <laughs> we will probably never know until the inevitable interview with Grant Morrison, which is coming. Oh, um, a few issue, a few episodes away. Just, just you wait. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be great. Um, but PJ, I mean, we've we've talked a lot around this story as we've been going. Like, I think yeah. we we. It's not like we haven't touched upon it. But did you have any like thoughts or things you wanted to say? Like, as we, now we've reached the end of it. Just the. It's it, you. You know, we've talked about how much is packed into it, and it is amazing how not just how much is packed into it, but when I read it last night, it was a pretty obviously on these. The you know, when we talk about them, we're doing real deep dives, so we spend a long time on each image, each page. But last night when I read it, it was a pretty quick read, mm -hmm. ten minutes maybe. Um, and for something to read that quickly and have that much in it, is really amazing economy of storytelling. I'll tell you what's economy of storytelling, PJ. I just went through and counted. This is only a 21-page story. Really? It's not even a full 22. My lord. I just, like, yeah, I I have always loved this story. Like, Teenage Me loved it. Teenage Me got really into edgy angels. Teenage Me made a lot of questionable character designs. A lot of chains, a lot of spikes. It was the 90s, good and bad. Um, and I've loved it in later life. Like every time I come back to it, I'm like, this is just a good story. But like coming back to it again this time round, I don't think I'd ever really appreciated how just how much is packed in. Yeah. Like storytelling is a noble art, but storytelling is is also a business. And like, and if you're going to be putting out like a monthly comic or any kind of monthly installment, it's got to be worth the reader's time like they've got to feel like they're getting value for money and 
I've got to say, like, this is like this should be held up. This should be put on like uh, in, in in museums as like this is concise storytelling. <laughs> like this is how this shows that you do not always need a ten part epic or like the twelve part maxi series or check out this title spanning event for earth shattering action. You can sometimes do it in just two issues. It's the fact that you get it's it's as you say it's the world shattering event, but it weaves so much in. You've got two separate villains uh, appearing, both doing their own thing. Who who don't they don't obviously clearly they're working together behind the scenes, but it's never really outright stated that Neron and Asmodel are are a team. Just the hint there that Asmodel gives, we've arranged for this other thing to happen. But you know you get. Neron bringing down the moon you get Asmodel attacking with the angels you also get all the setup for the next two-part story with the key in in his coma and awakening during the story um you get oh God, yeah, um, that as well you get amazing moments for Superman Wonder Woman Jean they all just get these brilliant heroic defining moments for the characters and Aquaman gets some great quips in the second issue but he gets some brilliant moments in the first one as well you get Batman turning up for a cameo at the end. <laughs> you get... I was just, I'm, I was just flicking through it and like Superman generating uh, magnetic poles on the moon takes is set up and paid off in six pages, two of which are splash pages. Any other story that would be the climax. Yeah, like I. I don't know if I could cram that much action into a full issue, let alone just six bloody pages. Like, and as you said, like some of the most, one of the most iconic Superman moments of all time, and it's over so quickly, and yet it never feels rushed. No, and as you say, it takes six pages to get to that moment, and then it's over, and then you get a cool John moment. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman moment, even Aquaman. But then, have... within ten pages, Superman's got another <laughs> defining moment. With and again, almost a splash page. You just have that extra panel at the bottom for Wally to comment on it. But when Superman creates magnetic poles on the moon and then wrestles an angel, all in the space of ten to twelve pages, it is. I've had. We'll get this on a T-shirt. I've always felt that there is that's moments like stories can be either cool or necessary or like moments can be either cool or necessary and the sweet spot there's like a venn diagram between the two and the sweet spot is comic perfection and this is it like this is yep. the, this is the best kind of awesome like i feel that gets overused but like I feel sometimes in an effort to be respectable or kind of a proper art form, comics have maybe gotten a bit too realistic isn't a word, but like taking themselves a bit too seriously. Yeah. And I think this strikes the perfect balance where it reminds you why superheroes are important and why they're fun while also being just Again, like I said, doing what you need to do to tell a good story is not just mindless spectacle. It's I'm actually my respect for this these two issues has just grown in revisiting them. Like they're really, really tight. 
yeah i th- i think for me that two-parter is my favorite of the three stories in american dreams um you know i love the tomorrow woman story i think it's a great one and done and i i'm a big fan of the two-part story we'll be covering next that finishes off the book but i think it's that middle one because the stakes are so high and because you get such great moments for the characters and so much happens within it um and all of it just works it it just and largely because of that one moment where superman moves the moon back into orbit all on his own i think that two-part story is my favorite in american dreams i would actually hold this up these two issues as one of the best examples of what this series could be in terms of storytelling artwork mythology team dynamics like you know if i if i had to kind of there are other amazing moments so many but like this is really a a highlight i think possibly of the entire series of just how well it works yeah yeah it is so good but we've still got rock of ages to go we've still got rock of ages to come (laughs) i mean flipping heck folks like we're into the good stuff now like proper Hmm. proper roller coaster um PJ, have we have we have we have we sung the praises of this issue, of this issue enough? I mean, unless you want me to gush about Superman wrestling angels and moving the moon on his own again, which I can do. Oh no, you're, you're willing. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we should maybe we should stop because I think we could probably spend another hour just talking about how how near perfect this story is. I would say. <laughs> um, well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've got to say. Um, uh, a massive thank you to to anyone who's listening and enjoying the series so far. I would say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for doing our uh, amazing cover artwork. And a huge thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our, our fantastic theme tune, Justice. And if you'd like to follow PJ or I and you know find out more about our works and, and what we do when we're we're not uh, we're not talking about a golden age of comics, um our social media tags, you know, our, our handles are in the uh, description. Um, so PJ, is there anything you you wanted to uh, highlight or draw people's attention to, or anything they should check out? Um, no, that's fine. It's fine. It's just enough that you're here. That's all. That yeah. Matters. Um. Well, with that in mind, then PJ, would you do us the honors and uh, see us off, folks? Don't be a creep like Zariel. <laughs> <laughs>